Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Here are the nominees for performance by an actress in a supporting role. Patricia Arquette, Boyhood. Laura Dern, Wild. Kira Knightley, The Imitation Game. Emma Stone, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Meryl Streep, Into the Woods. And the Oscar goes to Patricia Arquette Boyhood. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2015 Ceremony Year win for Patricia Arquette for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, the 2015 Oscar Ceremony Year, Best Picture went to Birdman, Best Actor went to Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything, Best Actress went to Julianne Moore for Still Alice, we still have to do that episode and we will, Still Alice. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to J.K. Simmons uh, for the movie Whiplash, uh, which is just one of those problematic roles that I <laughs> that's another podcast we'll get into it another time uh, best director went to Alejandro G. Iñárritu for uh, Birdman uh, today I am joined by a friend I am joined by a comedian a stand-up comedian uh, he has performed at the prestigious Just for Laughs it's the largest comedy festival in the world uh, and he just had a little baby uh, and I'm so excited to talk to him about that it's Adrian Kronk hi Adrian what's good thank you for <laughs> for having me Kyle um, whenever people come onto the the show I always like to ask why they may have selected a specific year and maybe what it means to them or if it means anything at all or if it was completely random but why Patricia Arquette because I do remember that you had suggested this year so why this year yeah this like year and you know it's a 2015 Oscars but most of the eligibility 2014. I just think it's a really crazy strong year in movies, both like your, you know, pleasing blockbusters and your, you know, more artsy movies. And it's also kind of the last year where, you know, everyone, I guess, politically, you know, could afford to be kind of mm -hmm. not engaged, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And so... I noticed that too. Right? Yeah. Like, it's just a bit of a... Uh, uh, even 2015, you know, you, we were kind of hearing of what's coming, but this year kind of feels like the last of an era in a bit, kind of the same way, like the last year before social mm -hmm. media mm -hmm. does to me. So I think there's some interesting art that came out at that time. There were definitely some moments in boyhood where I was like, woof. But at the same time, like when I was growing up, like in the 2000s, like th that was a thing. Like that's how other boys spoke to each other. That's the thing. And we'll, we'll get in the boy. We'll but yeah, it. there's, there's points there where it's like, it's ugly, but it is True. real. Yeah, yeah. It is realistic in terms of just yeah. the world this boy grew up in. If we're talking mid to the house. Yeah. But why Patricia Arquette over, um, Julianne Moore, for example? Yeah. So she just, you know, when I saw that role, well, it's a long movie. It's a long oh, ass girl, movie. <laughs> you I am could say. not a fan. I'll so, um, but it's a role where you know 
you really have to maximize your character's impact mm. in, you know, mm. in, and I think a lot of supporting actresses have to do that because there's so many underwritten roles for women. But just the link that movie and the impact it made led me to kind of be like, okay, so let me see. Let's give credit to kind of navigating that in a three-hour movie and mm-hmm. see how some other performances did in different time frames, different setups, mm-hmm. you know, different situations. I mean, I would say that for the best supporting actress category this particular year, um, anybody that listens to this podcast knows I'm really not a fan of the supporting category pre-2000, pre-1995, because the roles for women in a leading role yeah. were very, uh, maybe like one or two were maybe Oscar-worthy and the rest were kind of filler. And they generally tend to be the roles of like um, housewife or um, mistress or uh, housewife who becomes a mistress. And it's just very limited. Mistress for who learns to cook. Yeah, yeah. like just, just things like this. And so um, I actually very much enjoyed watching these films and watching these performances. And this was a really good supporting year. I do find that um, this category tends to not be enjoyable for me because I find that oftentimes you'll see like a five minute performance in a three hour movie. Yeah. But that was not the case with these films. And I appreciated that. And that was good. Um, But yeah, I I am, I am curious though, because I I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen you in a minute. Well, sober. I've been like sober now for like almost six months. We don't need to talk about it. (laughs) KB 2.0. Oh yeah. And uh, Lord knows you dealt with Lyle many times. So, um, uh, but catching up, you know, how was it? Being a father, this is your first baby. Yes. And what's, how, is it everything that you thought it would be? Or is it like unexpected virtue of... (laughs) I got to say, you know, lockdowns really made the lifestyle change into having like a newborn pretty seamless because Mm -hmm. I was very used to being home all the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so when people complain about not doing anything, it's like... Yeah, but I wasn't doing anything before. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, it's great. It's hard. It's all the things you hear about, you know, like it's like climbing a mountain where it's like this. People can tell you exactly what it's like. Yeah. They just can't describe how intense all the feelings they're telling you about. Oh, sure. Are. Like watching yeah. something in a movie and you yeah. think like, yeah, I understand. And then when you're actually in it, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think um, our listeners are like, oh my God, tell me more about parenting. But let's talk yes. about um, our first nominee. So this is in no particular order. We just kind of jump into like whatever. This is just kind of the order that I watch the movies in. Sure. Um, but I know how much you were not a fan of this film. So let's just jump into Meryl Streep in Into the Woods. Um, so Into the Woods is kind of like an amalgamation of a bunch of classic sort of fairy tale stories. And, uh, uh, Meryl Streep is the witch that's in the movie. And basically, okay, so according to IMDb, a witch tasks a childless baker and his wife with procuring magical items from classic fairy tales to reverse the curse put on their family tree. So in the movie, Meryl Streep is... Um, the villain and then she's like kind of not and then she kind of like gets sucked up into the earth and then just disappears. I don't know if I really understood that. Yeah, the movie definitely, if it was on rails, goes off them towards <laughs> the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, did not like this movie and I think with all musicals, you do have to kind of come up from like, well, do you like musicals at all? Right. Because... It's like country music. Like yeah. Some people aren't going to like <laughs> any country song. So right. I like musicals. I like Tick, Tick, Boot. Like, this was actually a great recent year for musicals. With, like, yeah. you know, the West Side Story remake. 
I got halfway through. Yeah. Hamilton the year before. So I'm a decent fan of musicals, but I have huge gaps. I haven't, you know, I have never seen Rent, which I know is like. Oh, you don't need to. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I like musicals, but this movie is really like the storyline has this problem where you kind of know at the start the characters, right? Because it's Cinderella and it's Little Red Riding Hood. And so it starts with kind of archetypes and paths you know. And then they kind of try and subdue your expectations, but you don't really care. Because, right. <laughs> because it's like, okay, so this Cinderella's not getting married. Okay, I get it. And it also has this bad habit of like never really showing you the most interesting places and parts. Like Cinderella leaves like, you know, the party three times I'm like show me show me the part I know I know did, you, did that not drive you crazy it always seemed like like this movie does not show three beautiful royal parties a entire yeah. uh beanstalk side giant house yep. covered in, in gold the sky yeah. you you could fill you a trilogy with the parts this movie doesn't show yeah i mean i literally was watching that and i thought oh so like that's like a trick to get around having to spend more money in a movie yeah. i feel like it's like they're trying to make like a canadian movie or a canadian show where if you cuz i i watched like like shits creek for example they only have two sets yeah. it's the motel or the cafe or the cafe or the motel and you just you're like oh cuz of like Budget. But I mean, I, I do know what you mean. Um, I have uh, some. Okay, so I have some things that I'm uh, a couple of facts about this movie. So Meryl Streep actually revealed that after turning 40, she was offered three witch roles, which is clearly extremely ageist. Mm. Um, and she actually implemented a no witches rule. But she broke the rule after meeting composer and lyricist Stephen uh, Sondheim and Rob Marshall for this film. So she just made the exception for this film specifically. Uh, during the movie, Emily Blunt, the whole time, you know, she's trying to get pregnant and have a baby in real life. She was actually like very pregnant filming this movie. Interesting. And they were trying to like um, cut cover it up as much as but they did a good job and um apparently the set pieces were so big for this movie that anna kendrick and chris pine actually got lost on a soundstage and had to be rescued by a production assistant um i have seen this play uh my high school girlfriend uh mm. was in the play she played the granny um and which is funny because we used to literally watch Pirates of the Caribbean and knit, uh, <laughs> like like you straight guys. And do she with had your no hints. Yeah, no idea. She had no clue. Yeah. She was shocked. Um, but uh, anyway, I've, so I'm familiar with the work. I would definitely say a movie adaptation was way better than a high school play, and uh, I really liked this movie. I think that Meryl Streep was uh, uh, scary, but also like. Funny, and I remember I had a guest. I have a guest on this podcast every so often. His name is Bill Antonio, and he said something so poignant that I, I I always stuck with me. He said that Meryl Streep always knows what movie she's in, and what that means is it's like if she has to be serious, but the tone of the movie is like a little silly. It's like she'll do like something kind of funny with her eyes, or she'll just say things in sort of like an immature like teenage kind of way and and she she always knows the tone and she does it so 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 well she's actually a trained operatic singer that's Mm. like what she studied at yale i believe that it was um so her being an incredible actor and then also singing like this is in her wheelhouse and she's very very good at it um i do think it's very interesting and i do feel it's worth mentioning that emily blunt and meryl streep 
Uh, the only movie they'd ever done before was The Devil Wears Prada. So it's like every time that Emily Blunt works with Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep is just like a monster. Yeah, like every everyone comes time. away talking about <laughs> Except Meryl Streep. In this movie, she's, you know, a horrible, like, wretched witch. I'm assuming, you know, maybe Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada said something transphobic. This was her punishment, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it is really fun just seeing these two together. I wish that they would make more movies together. Um, and... In the movie, she is the unfortunate-looking witch because James Corden's dad stole her magic beans, but then she eventually, they get all of the things that they need, the red riding, the cape, the glass slipper, whatever, and then she becomes, like, beautiful again. But what I was confused by was then, like, the giant comes in, who was played by Madame Maxine from fucking Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter, I was trying to lock in where I knew the giant. I mean, talk about being typecast. We're like, we need a giant woman. We're like, where is Madame Maxime? And they brought her in and she did great. Yeah. But I just thought if I were her, Madame Maxine, the actor, I would just be like, um, no, like I've already played a giant woman before. Um, but anyway, then Meryl Streep is kind of like their ally because they're kind of trying to get rid of her. And then what happens? She just starts throwing around the remaining beans that she has, and then she just gets sucked up into the earth. Yeah, you know, the ending, I mean, there's one thing to say for ambiguous settings, there's another thing to say for, like, satisfaction in an ending, which I did not feel <laughs> at the end of this for a few reasons, but I didn't talk about Streep for my problems with the movie, to be clear. Meryl Streep is really good in this movie. Sure. Um, I think when it comes to recognizing the performance, there's a bit of how much more enjoyable her parts are than other parts in this movie. Mm -hmm. You know, like we talk about, like she is completely in character and she's kind of fun, but she's pushing the plot along. And then when you have to turn the corner and you have to get the audience's sympathy, that's when she goes, I'm the goat. Yeah. I'm Meryl Streep. <laughs> and here's how in, you know, three minutes I can get you to care about this character that's only mm -hmm. ruined people's lives so far. And so when she's doing her first song, it's a beautiful song, but it's also the acting is what kind of blew me away the problem is you have these parts and then you have a little red riding segment where johnny depp in happier times like you know like jesus yeah. is you know and that's what it was supposed to be by the way yeah is cashing a check yeah um <laughs> and it's just this kind of disjointed run on that you know i mean i i guess gives you know kind of some depth to the red riding hood character but isn't built on by the end so i think the reason the ending, you know, kind of doesn't come together is there's these segments and these characters that just the fight with the giant doesn't feel as connected to what they've been going through, what they've been thinking about mm -hmm. and what's mattered to them. Mm -hmm. Because in some cases they already got what they want halfway through the movie. I think they thought this movie was going to be way bigger than it was. I yeah. think they thought, oh, this will be the next... Chicago. This will be the next Wicked. This well, the be... cast is stacked. Like, yeah. it's a crazy cast of just A-list you know, actors, actresses, um, you know, and everyone seems kind of game. Uh, I just think that it together, you know, doesn't come off as like a satisfying, cohesive mm -hmm. whole. I mean, and I mean, also James Corden yeah. <laughs> is a huge problem as yeah. like the main, you know, as the baker. Yeah. He just is, is not delivering. Like mm -hmm. it's he's like, a, okay, he's so a little overrated. Yeah, well, I just think, like, it's like, okay, are you here for comedic effect? Because I don't think you necessarily do anything funny in this movie. <laughs> are you here for dramatic effect? Yeah. Because, 
like people completely emphasize with Emily Blunt where she got a kid two minutes ago and now she's like, oh, where'd that prince go? Like right. she's like immediately wandering eye. Right. It's just, it's, it's, you know, there's some kind of different levels of what everyone's bringing. Streep owns what she has yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. And she's the highlight of the movie. Right. But it's not. She a movie. is. It's not a movie with a ton of highlights to. No, I agree with you. To. I agree with you. And and it's like whenever you really see her relationship with her daughter Rapunzel and the way that she feels like Rapunzel like owes her for like the rest of her life for like the kindness and the. But I mean, she is technically a stolen baby. It's yeah. not actually her daughter. So there are like you see like good parts of her. You see you are sympathetic with her character a little bit. And yeah, I mean it's just a really great performance by Meryl Streep, but I do agree with you. It's a, it's a really good performance, really good acting performance in kind of a mm, movie. I think, you know, acting in a musical is is a huge facet that sometimes we can miss because sometimes we get lost in like the vocal operatics of did you hear that? Mm-hmm. You know, no hit. Did you hear? She ate that song up, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you have someone that is an actor that can also sing and sometimes can deliver like pathos, you know, to me, like, that's why I liked, like I mentioned, Tick, Tick, Boom, Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield acts the hell out of it and then delivers on the songs. I think that's what Streep does here. I haven't seen that movie. And I'm just, I don't, because it's a music. I, hate musicals (laughs) i really do i really do but i mean it's on netflix right yes i got i'll check it out but with meryl streep specifically in this movie i mean it's just yeah she's really awesome she was definitely the only reason to watch this movie she's certainly the highlight she's certainly the star i'm glad that she broke her little rule about playing which i assume she'll probably never play one again but it was really nice to see this sort of side to her um and uh really great singing and uh yeah I mean, once I, I would love to see another Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt pair in in future uh, where she, Meryl Streep is awful to her again. I don't know, but I would love to see it. And uh, yeah, if it's it's there's there's just there's so much going on here. And I don't know if it necessarily is working for me, uh, but I just think that Meryl Streep's acting. If you're just singling that out, uh, she did a fantastic job and uh, she was fun as the witch. Yeah. I mean, like you could talk about, you know, some other scenes um, you know, Chris Pine is is good in his prince role and stuff. It some of the like characters are kind of sequestered off, which makes sense because Streep's supporting, so she's not going to be you know in every scene, even though mm-hmm. she kind of pushes the plot. Mm-hmm. But and like when we talk about budget, I'm sure I don't think it was necessarily a cheap movie because some shots and some things they really go all in. Like I think her transformation looks really cool yeah and that's the scene where clearly they were like we need to make this you know a big moment but it does kind of feel like you can tell like <laughs> where the set stops yeah. you know and where something's happening right like don't there's a gaffer over there like, yeah don't go left because <laughs> that's where we have you know um our sound team she was on the table Meryl Streep was on the table singing and she tripped on her dress at one point and she fell backward toward a cement floor and uh they had to catch her because if they wouldn't have like she would yeah um okay do you have anything else that you would like to add to Meryl Streep's performance specifically before we move on um no I think we, we kind of covered it Okay, let us talk about Laura Dern in the movie Wild. Oh my God, am I so excited to talk about this movie because, oh, I love this movie. I love Reese Witherspoon in this movie. I was inspired to go hiking after seeing this movie. 
Um, every time that I watch this movie, I have to skip through the opening scene where she's literally taking off her toenail. It sets a great tone for the audience the first time you watch it, but I believe that it happens. So we'll just skip right through that the next yeah. time that we watch it. This in my opinion, is a superior performance to the movie Walk the Line, in which Reese Witherspoon actually won the Oscar for. I do not know how she won that Oscar, but again, that's a different episode, and we already covered that. I did not select her as my winner. Spoiler alert. But to me, this is almost like Sandy uh, Sandra Bullock's um, win for The Blind Side, and it was like, what? But then you see her in Gravity, and you're like, oh... I feel like this is Reese Witherspoon's gravity, where it's just like, holy shit, like she's so good in this movie. Um, I am such a fan. So very quickly, uh, the movie Wild is uh, a chronicle of one woman's 1,100-mile solo hike undertaken as a way to recover from a recent personal tragedy. Now, we don't have like a groundbreaking plot here. Like this has been done in so many different ways in so many uh, different films. Like the most recent thing that I can think of was the movie shallows with blake lively that shark movie and yeah. it's like you know it, that great fantastic but uh i'm still into the movie laura dern is the tragedy that uh, reese witherspoon is trying to overcome because laura dern is her single mom who is a victim of uh, domestic violence uh oh that's you know similar to patricia arquette actually in uh, boyhood um and uh she eventually gets like a terminal diagnosis whenever she's trying to get her life together when she's like what going back to school and she's trying to you know and then she um eventually dies and that deeply affects reese witherspoon's character which inspires this whole adventure and journey and a drug habit and all this and um as a person who is, I mean, I did coke a lot, but I mean, like, I never had like a coke problem exactly. But I mean, like, <laughs> as a person, is that, isn't that an old joke? I did, I never had a coke problem. I could, I could always find it. <laughs> do you know, I never, I never. Okay, believe it or not, every time because I would do, every time that I did coke, I was never looking for it. It was just always there. Like, because sure. the people that I hang out with are fucking garbage. I was gonna say, we get it. You're cool. Yeah, like, right? Yeah, so cool. And um, so. For me, this movie really resonated with me. And I'm like, fuck, like, what's my adventure going to be that I need to go through? What's my, I have to walk a thousand miles off the Pacific Coast trailer, whatever. And um, Laura Dern is basically the root of the entire story. So her supporting actor um, nomination, it's almost like the like the Yoda of the story or the in like the karate kid. It's like that guy that like trains him. He was nominated for a supporting actor. It's like the person that is at the center. Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you're straight, you know this, but I'm just <laughs> saying like, but I'm just saying like Laura Dern is like the Miyagi of the story in a way, because it's like, did she have this incredibly wow performance? Like, no. But, like, she was previously nominated for um, an actor, actress in a leading role for the movie Rambling Rose. Uh, she's the winner of the Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story. She's very well liked in Hollywood. Um, and I feel like people were like, yes, like, it's it's her time to be nominated again because she hadn't been nominated at that point for, like, almost 22 years. Um, and in the movie Wild, because everything sort of centers around her and she does give a really good performance, um, is is it super memorable? No. But like, it's a very good performance. She does everything that she's supposed to do with the role. And I do genuinely feel bad for Reese Witherspoon's character. For me personally, like, it, this is Reese. Like, I didn't really find Laura, like, shining so much in this role. Okay. But I do think that she did a fantastic job. And I do think that she was right for the role. And the story, the story all centers around her and, like, her tragedy. But for me, it was really 
it was really, really real. So had you seen this movie before? What did you think about this movie? What did you think about Laura Dern? So I was super interested in hearing you because I think we have two very different roads <laughs> gang to this movie. Yeah. Like this was my first time ever seeing it from, you know, clearly you've seen it. Did you see it like when it came out? Yes. Okay. okay. That's the only time I've seen it. So this was my first time seeing it, and it's actually an example of some things about like being a bit more of a different era than you might think 2014 was. Um, just because, for instance, I think Laura Dern, when I finished the movie, I was like, man, you know, she's, I was a little low on it. Mm-hmm. And then when I thought about it, I thought, that's no fault of hers. Mm-hmm. It's just because some of the things she does here has kind of been parodied and acknowledged as kind of the dead mom, dead wife stuff. Like those scenes that people make fun of where the white lady's smiling in like white sheets and running with like the sun glare. She's doing all of those cliches. Like every single wait, wait, cliche. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about, but what do you mean? Is this a thing? So yes. Yeah, so and it's I, like a I've, trope? I've seen, yes, I've seen people on TikTok make fun of it where it's like the dead wife and it's like, <laughs> You know, she's just smiling and she just, you know, it's first person. The she's like, sheet over I, her head. Yes, yes. I love you, babe. We'll be together forever. Gunshots. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> like those kind of moments that are, are made fun. And usually it's the wife. In this case, Lord Dern's the mom. But she, a lot of those cliches, she's in those That's scenes. So She's funny. also in all the cliches of someone sick at the hospital where it's like, no. Yeah, like, so, right. so I think when I came off, I realized, oh. She's in stuff that's been made fun of, but like it wasn't as maybe noticed overdone at yeah. the time, whatever the case is. A bit of a, she was a bit of a fever dream. Well, yeah, she was like, they were like getting the most out of her character emotionally, but they cut a few corners with like montages, sad music, right. like running and, from and, the abusive husband. And all, and those shots of like, I'm having so much fun with yeah, my kids. Right. And like, oh my God, but I know what happened to her. So there's a bit of shorthand, but. She, when I thought back to it, I was like, you know what? She gets so much done with what she does have Mm -hmm. in that kitchen, at the school. When it comes to, you know, saying words about how to deal with adversity Mm -hmm. that you can tell resonate with Reese and that resonate with the the viewer. Like, she's really making the choice to be happy in this movie. Mm -hmm. Reese doesn't get it and challenges her and that's some of the most pivotal scenes but it's based on a true story by the way yes and you know the woman's whose story is based on cheryl Strait. i've listened to her podcast and she's she's actually a really interesting um woman you know with with you know kind of great stories this one from her life um but also just in general her advice column and podcasts are all great oh interesting but uh yeah lord dern's great in this i i think the movie itself I realize some of my problems I have with her are very stupid, very dumb, looking for detail. Like, I'll give you an example. Okay. It just annoyed me that it's a period piece. It's set in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever watched a movie that felt less like it was in the 90s <laughs> than this. Like, it's shot like modern day. Like, beyond that, she doesn't have a cell phone. Yeah. I think if I showed you a scene from this movie, it's like, what year is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, what do you mean? Like you wanted like the dark lip with I, the mom jeans? Well, that like, would help, you yeah. know. If everyone's like, "Hey, I just saw it's Pat the movie in theaters." Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> like, but they had the hiking boots. The '90s was just one will was just one long Wilson Phillips music video with the hiking boots <laughs> and the socks rolled down to the boots. Do you remember when we used to do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that not was me there. personally. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I remember because, like, like in Jurassic Park, they all had that with the hiking boots and the rolled up white tube socks. Like you rolled it down to the edge of the shoe. I mean, there was a lot of that action going on. I mean, I think boot-wise, they're embracing it, but, you know, I, I just <laughs> overall kind of felt like, does it, like, because there's a solid bit of time between the modern-day 90s scenes mm-hmm. and the 80s scenes where Laura Dern is mostly in, where, mm-hmm. where she's younger, and it, I don't think they really get across that. I think it's kind of hard to place how old Reese is supposed to kind of be, which is probably because she's playing like she's 12 years older than mm. the character kind of is. But anyway, I thought some of the timeline was maybe a bit <laughs> jumbly. You wanted like some vanilla ice music playing in the background. <laughs> you wanted like all of the 90s moments, like people walking around with Bart Simpson t-shirts. Yes, like. <laughs> I, I wanted like, you know how in BoJack Horseman, yeah. like every time they're in 2007, there's a song playing on the radio saying, like it's 2007 yes, yes. I, I want shouting about what era it was in and people going like boy I wish I had a yeah. machine in my pocket yeah. but those all won't be invented for years uh, I but, think they do that because they're like worried that like a younger generation would be like they want to modernize it to make it look like because I mean there were so many fashion faux pas in the 90s and 80s that maybe they're like well it's a movie and we want it to look gra- glamorous even though we're like having toes ripped off and taking shits in a desert. So yeah. let's, let's make it a little more modern 90. I, I know what you're saying. I don't know. Like, I know that's why I want to, to say it was a nitpick. I know it's a nitpick, yeah. but just oh, nitpick away. It's my favorite. Just I love when, you, it. when you go from some, I'm trying to think of other things I've seen, you know, like, I guess, Yellow Jackets maybe goes overboard, but that's an example of something that really makes it clear <laughs> the time period. I like that show. Juliet Lewis is my favorite. And Juliet Lewis. So I'm so glad you brought her up because I think that is the one point, and this was a movie that Reese really wanted to do, mm-hmm. that Cheryl Strayed said Reese was the only person that could pull it off, that I think there's points where Reese is so locked in and so great and brings so much, like when she packs her huge impossible camping bag and can barely you know, get up, and some of her interactions are great. I don't know if the scenes where she's really at the bottom fucking randoms doing heroin i don't know if reese is really crushing those or showing kind of that pain yeah as much as is you know we say juliette lewis that's a woman where you go she's been through some shit yeah. <laughs> reese well, when she's hitting these lows i some of those scenes i don't quite really vibe with you know the that person being the same as hiker Reese. Well, it's funny you say that because all the facts about this movie was about the like double team in the alleyway. <laughs> yeah. Every fact was like whenever she was preparing her vagina for the scene, you're like, okay, like there was more to the movie than just this one scene. But it's so funny that you say that she did not want to do that scene. And oh, you she, can tell. Oh yeah, and she contacted the Cheryl, the and she was like, why? why did you do this? And she was like, well, it's just a really promiscuous time in my life. And she was like, ugh. And she didn't want it. She was terrified to do it. But I, okay, a couple things about this movie. So the young Cheryl, uh, the young Cheryl in the movie is actually portrayed by Cheryl's uh, real life daughter. 
uh, Bobby Strayed Lindstrom. Uh, director Jean-Marc Vallée wouldn't let Reese Witherspoon read instructions for the tent or the stove, so all of that frustration in the movie was real because she Great. couldn't figure it out. Um, and Reese Witherspoon dropped out of the movie Big Eyes and Gone Girl. She did produce Gone Girl, but she actually dropped out of the lead role, which ended up going to Rosamund Pike to do this movie. And during the movie, uh, her backpack was actually filled with old newspapers. So, uh, yeah. that's So one thing I, I read also, and those facts are interesting, but I'd read another example of like this being a different time, that the director refused to choreograph sex scenes because he thought it would like, mm. you know, limit the moment. So that, it's not like gang, I guess it's running a train scene was not choreographed like the character like the actors choosing to put reese face in the camera whatever the case yeah is which is crazy when you think about telling an actress like yeah we're gonna do like a a gangbang scene so feel free to improvise yeah. Just <laughs> do whatever feels right reese yes and like you know be open to it yeah but you know now with the changes in hollywood with sensitivity court intimacy coordinators is what they're called right for like bridgerton and things okay. and yeah um i think an actor just got fired from netflix for moving his hand during a sex scene this I, is yeah. clearly a, a different time yeah when it comes to things like right. like that uh, i mean um speaking specifically to to laura dern though one thing that i really like about um her relationship with her daughter is that when she is on death's door and she has this terminal diagnosis, you know, she teaches her daughter to sort of remain grounded in chaotic situations. And that in the end is the lesson that she kind of learns. And so everything that, um, Reese Witherspoon goes through and everything that she kind of learns. It's funny. Laura Dern was like, yeah, I told you this like <laughs> a couple of years ago, but sure. Do the whole gangbang in the alley desert, uh, hike situation. So this is of course like your, typical supporting role like she is responsible for bringing uh the character and uplifting the lead character and bringing them on that journey and um i think laura dern is fantastic in this movie it was a resurrection of her career Mm. um i think that she um for me it's really reese witherspoon uh comparatively speaking but you know laura dern she's always (laughs) very reliable as an actress and i think that she was really fantastic in this it's just there wasn't really much to her role other than just being like you're saying these fever dreams of these tropes where you're having a conversation under a bed sheet and then you hear the gunshot and like these like it's like a Kodak commercial of happy running running through a field like I've seen this in like a Rihanna music video it's like and she does a good job um and I'm a huge fan of Laura Dern it's just compared to her other work maybe this isn't like one of my favorites but I certainly understand why she was nominated and I think she did a really great job with it she crushes everything she's asked to do in this. Mm-hmm. Like everything, every beat she's supposed to hit, it's just, there's just not as much to it as some other roles. I agree. Um, okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about um, Emma Stone in the movie Birdman. And I am very excited to talk about this movie because, girl, I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> I hated it when it came out. I hated that I had to watch it. Although I will say, um, I actually did understand it this time and I understood that it is a bit satirical um, in terms of um, uh, 
uh, uh, Edward Norton's uh, character. It's, it's supposed to be a parody or a satire of his um, relationship that he has with people on set. He was known for being kind of an asshole, being very, very difficult. So they made that bigger. And then, of course, with um, Michael Keaton, it's like Batman, Birdman, ha ha ha. Yeah. So it's like this whole thing is supposed to you're supposed to really understand these characters because it's supposed to be sort of like wink wink of like their real life so it's so easy for us to wrap our minds around and so it's like oh that's actually kind of brilliant and um i think that for me the way that i understand this movie is i'm like okay i think this is like the closest kind of movie where like an average straight dude who loves action movies. I think this is the closest thing that he could come to, to like understanding and really getting into like an artsy kind of film. It's like, if you're not into artsy films, but like, Hey, you're really into like Batman, for example, it's like, you might actually really enjoy and understand the artistic value and quality of this movie. So that being said, was not for me. I've seen this movie before. Um, I certainly got into it way more this time, and mm. I actually understood it. Uh, I I wasn't necessarily just watching it because I'm like, oh, it's nominated for an Oscar. Okay, let's just crush this movie, say that I've watched it, whatever. But I actually sat down, enjoyed it, and really watched it. Um, this movie obviously completely resurrected Michael Keaton from... Not the grave, but his career had taken a dip, let's say, and uh, this movie completely... I mean, then he was in Spotlight the year after, which I think also won, like, Best Picture. Yeah. And um, he was also in The Founder, the McDonald's movie, which I love. He was in... I love uh, that movie, too. So good. He was in Dope Sick. Like, you know, this movie just... just, And this is actually uh, uh, Michael Keaton's only Academy Award nomination, which is crazy. Anyway... All this to say, I'm just going to get out some of these uh, facts and then we're going to talk about Emma Stone. So, uh, some facts. So, um, the, uh, the performers that were uh, doing the filming, they had to perform up to 15 pages of dialogue at a time because the movie, w- the direction style was that it was supposed to look like lo- one long continuous scene. Um, uh, oh, uh, Alejandro G. Iñárritu um, said that the ending of this movie came to him in a dream. Well, I want to talk about that because the, it's kind of up. It's there's a debate of like what the ending meant yeah. when she sees him like flying and she's all excited. Uh, the voice of Birdman, that like deep kind of, is actually a parody of Christian Bale's Batman. That's why he did that. Which is um, such a great decision. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And uh, Margot Robbie was actually um, the original choice of Sam, the character that Emma Stone plays, which in this movie, uh, Sam, Emma Stone, is the daughter of Michael Keaton's character. Uh, and in the movie, she is uh, supposed to be like a celebrity's child who is coming out of rehab, has a lot of issues, which makes sense, like being the, the child of a star. I, I can't imagine how that affects your development. Um, and as a result of which, uh, she has, um, she's like an adrenaline junkie. She has like a very negative um, attitude and disposition all the time but then she has these really nice little beautiful moments like I love when she's working on her toilet paper and like each little uh, uh, horizontal line represents a thousand years or something and then uh, she's like she's like this is the universe and like we've only been on and she has these really nice moments with her father where she 
when he starts to kind of go crazy and like attempts suicide, but then it's interpreted as like the greatest artistic achievement on theater. And then everyone's praising him. And then she's trying to get him into, um, she's supposed to represent our generation. And then he represents like our parents' generation. And then she's trying to appeal to him because she understands celebrity in like YouTube views and Twitter followers. And um, that's her kind of like arguing toward him. And they have really nice moments together. And like, they have a really great relationship that I totally bought. They look nothing at all alike. Not at all. And I totally... And and the mom doesn't clear that (laughs) up. They they weren't casting for like Emma Stone similarity with the mom. Absolutely. And she absolutely nailed it. I bought their uh, relationship as parent-daughter relationship um, as a as a a, a person who I, like is trying to do like a bit of a sober thing myself. I uh, I understood her. I also have an attitude problem with a lot of people as well. So for me, it's like I kind of vibed with her character. Um, and also Emma Stone always plays those kind of quirky, haha, funny. And she's so good at that. Yeah. But this, she's so serious and angry. And um, I think that she really is very good at that as well. And it's really nice seeing that side to her because I really know her from like Easy A or like super bad. And then when you see her in kind of something like this, it's like, oh, this is actually very interesting to see her this way. I loved her in this movie. Um, what did you think about this movie? What did you think about Emma Stone? And um, had you seen this movie before? I have seen the movie before. It was like a very early date movie with mm. my my wife. Okay. Um, I'll get to like a story about that. That's that's kind of funny. But long story short, loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Watched it again. Forgot how beautiful this movie is. Really, when it mm. comes to like how it's shot, how it oh, looks, yeah. like it is. A great looking movie, and it's not like it had the highest budget either. They just really maximize every shot. So with Emma Stone, there's two kind of things of depth I think that she gets across really well with this character. One is that the more you get to know Michael Keaton's character, the more you see like he is completely self-obsessed and self-centered, mm-hmm. good and bad, you know, classic narcissist, and that there wouldn't be a lot of room for her in his daily, you know, what he cares about, mm-hmm. even though he kind of, you know, is attempting to reach out. It's clear really what he obsesses about, what he is focused on, what he's driven by. And that's clear like that again, the toilet paper the universe thing, she has a different worldview set of priorities than these like showbiz people. Right. That are so locked into this way of life and are so locked into everything coming through the prism of show business. Mm -hmm. And she just has a detachment to that. And I think they get across a lot of the the things in here from my experiences in theater or with period theater ring true when it comes to like, you know, stripping down naked in front of a group because it's the theater. Like I've seen that firsthand, Mm -hmm. right? That kind like there's no room for self-consciousness when you're trying to, you know, navigate a scene transition. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine. I, yeah. I always have so much respect for an actor that can do those shots. Like, for example, Reese Witherspoon getting double. Like, I am like, I could, as a stand-up, as like, a like I need to be in control of everything. That's why I'm on stage by myself. I can't imagine being directed by somebody to do something that I would perceive as, like, humiliating like that. Good for actors. That is brave. Well, this has one of the biggest, like, you must have no ego to do this. Mm-hmm. And that, which is 
Michael Keaton right. in unflattering underwear yeah. running through <laughs> Times Square yeah. like that. You have to have complete trust in what you're doing to to do that. They had to yeah. film that at like four or five o'clock in the morning whenever there wouldn't really be a lot of people in Times Square because yeah. otherwise there would just be so many people filming it. They had to cancel originally doing it New Year's Eve, but then they're yeah. like, you know, it might be a little busy. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, so she has this, this kind of depth in those things, you know, um, that I think... She gets across in a supporting role really, really well. And I think the other key to her in this movie is she has to sell romantic chemistry and interest with Edward Norton. Because those are really some key scenes, I think, for her in, mm -hmm. in the movie. Uh, and I think that's actually one thing that Emma Stone is really excellent at is on-screen chemistry. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, with Ryan Gosling for sure. And I know they had a, a real life thing, but Andrew Garfield, I guess they had a real life thing too, but you know, she's <laughs> <laughs> so easy to fall in love with Emma Stone. But, uh, but you know, her and Edward Norton, I think you buy that why each would be interested in the other, because mm -hmm. I think they're both, have such high confidence in some aspects and such low self-esteem in others. Mm -hmm. And you can tell they're kind of like jockeying back and forth with who has, you know, the power in a particular scenario. What any kind of toxic, uh, like probably unhealthy um, sexual chemistry between her and Edward Norton or in any movie. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm not proud of this, but that always speaks to me. <laughs> and I understand the chaotic situations, and I think she's she did a really good job in those moments. You're right. Like, she sells it. And her relationship with Edward Norton was really gross. Yeah. And creepy. Uh, and, like, he's... And, and Norton really is, like, beyond any defense. Was, you know, yeah. him trying to, like, you know, have sex during a scene. He's clearly a guy that's, like really has one thing in life that he is good at and he's decided that's also the one thing in life that matters or is any good. Yeah. Uh, and he's just running out of runway on living like that. Like after 20 years, he's really just built up his like, um, what's it called when you get on your hands? When you... Calluses. He's got cal He's got emotional calluses. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I've got to like... I've got to basically have this woman hate me to feel anything. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got push until they push away. Yeah. So Which, he's, he's gross. But the thing is, yeah, the reason that people aren't like, Oh, Birdman's just this disgusting guy to take advantage is because you can tell scenes where Emma Stone just bats him away. Mm -hmm. And he seemed like, you know, he's like, what are you 17? She's like, what are you 70? And yeah. you, you can tell he's like, there's parts where he really is getting hit, yeah. you know, in his ego. Um, I think, uh, Emma Stone, uh, I think she delivered the best line out of all of these nominees this year. She said when she's talking about um, uh, uh, fame and how uh, ego maniacally obsessed he is with his own career, her father, uh, Michael Keaton, and she says, you can't admit that you're just scared like the rest of us, like you don't matter. And it's the whole reason like why he's trying because he's mocking social media. He's mocking Twitter, but it's like he's scared too. Yeah. And the way she calls him out on it and the way that she says it and the way that she delivers the line. Uh, again, it's just these whole chaotic situations where it's like y you have like these this like anger, like this burst of anger and you say something that you're going to regret or something like that. And just um, when you have sort of a complicated relationship with somebody where you love them, but they just do things that just, ugh, uh, 
it just it just seemed very familiar to me and like very real for me and um i think that she that was of all the nominees this year that was like the best line and it was delivered in the best way i think that's what they used for her like little oscar clip like on the actual ceremony broadcast yeah um but i think that emma stone was uh because this was her first Oscar nomination. And then, you know, like whenever you start seeing the new generation of movie stars getting their Oscar nominations and you're kind of like, oh, is this too soon? Is this the right movie? Are, are you going to get this right? Or is it just going to be like a Adrian Brody situation where like you're like, here you go. And then, oh, shit. And then, you know, we never really hear or see from them again, except for like in supporting roles in like succession like 20 years ago, 20, 20 years later, but like they got it right with Emma Stone. Um, and it was, I remember when she got nominated for this, I just thought of her as like the chick from super bad. And yeah. I can't believe I just said chick. I've never seen that word in my life. The girl from super bad. <laughs> I've never said chick. That was weird for me. But anyway, I remember being so nervous seeing this movie like, Oh bitch, don't fuck it up because there's a lot. And then she nailed it for me. And I, I, I loved her in this movie. They, the movie really is like expertly cast because you have, Key, Michael Keaton and Edward Norton who are playing like shadow versions of themselves like mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows just from their lives make the roles better like mm-hmm. like who else True. Michael Keaton could play this washed up superhero right. you know and, and Edward Norton obviously his reputation made him better but then you have Emma Stone who has to play this like real raw person who hates fame so she has to be a good enough actress that we're not thinking you're a fucking actress. Yeah, right. And then Zach Galifianakis, who is a comedian, who is funny, but not any, not like anything yeah. we've seen before, and is really good in it. He was really good in it. I was actually like, oh fuck, Zach Galifianakis. But um, but just I love when he says like some reviewers in the audience, they go, oh, is he really there? Go, yeah, the Pope's coming too. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, but just just for time's sake, I think that we need to move on. But is there anything else that specifically you would like to add to um, Emma Stone's performance? Just because I mentioned it earlier, I want to get back to it. Should we only anything on the table? When I first saw Birdman in theaters, my wife is hating it, does not get it, feeling very <laughs> Kyle Brown riggy about it. She goes to the bathroom. At the moment she goes to the bathroom is when he enters a sequence where he is fighting a giant missile shooting bird, bird monster and yeah. flying. She comes to sit down. She says, what I miss? <laughs> hard to describe well you know so anyway. <laughs> the only action of the movie yeah, yeah. um uh also uh naomi watts is incredible in the movie too um, she is she's great okay uh let's move on let's talk about kieran knightley in the imitation game um with benedict cumberbatch and he is playing alan turing obviously this movie is a little frustrating to watch because he literally won the second world war or like seriously helped them win the second world war and then they're like you're gay though so we're going to chemically castrate you and you should probably commit suicide in a year that'd be great um this is how we reward uh people um i have seen this movie a million times i love it it's british and just uh nerdy enough for me i love a british nerdy story the imitation uh the imitation game or the theory of everything which came out this year like i just Yes, like I love a boring British movie. I wouldn't say that this is a boring British movie, but I'm just saying if it's British and it's boring and it's nerdy, fucking. Just I just went to try. Go, yeah, just I went to go see Downton Abbey 
uh, two in theaters, VIP on Monday. Okay. It was me and a lot of senior citizens with mobility issues in the <laughs> audience and another gay guy that was like around our age. But the point is, if it's boring and British, sign me up. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is actually 17th cousins with the real Alan Turing. Um, Turing's niece, uh, Ina Payne, said that Benedict Cumberbatch was really good casting, but Kira Knightley as Joan Clark was totally wrong because Joan in real life was, quote, rather plain. Mm. Uh, which, of course, because Kira Knightley, whatever movie she's in, she's always like, do you want to play who's prettier? Like, she's <laughs> just so pretty. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was originally set to play Alan Turing. Um, and... Uh, obviously touring, and this was uh, heavily implied, but not explicitly said, was clearly on the spectrum and uh, on the autism spectrum. And um, uh, the machine is supposed to be like a metaphor for like understanding and how he has a difficulty understanding. And he says the line, how are we supposed to know what people mean? It's very confusing. This is why I like my machine because it can decode what people are saying. And for most people that are on the autism spectrum, socially, that's the thing that they have the most difficulty with is social interactions, things that we just, like uh, like an eyebrow raise or like a squint. To them, they don't understand those social cues and they have to learn them. And so this is this incredibly, um, there's this subtext about being on the autism spectrum that's like, that's so like, because we're talking about before about being more socially aware of these things about like, Uh, violence and homophobia and racism Mm. and things like that in movies. And so the fact that they were talking about being on the spectrum in such a, not subversive, but just in the subtext uh, is so interesting. And I almost wish that it was maybe louder, but it was also kind of fun. Like if you know what they're talking about, like, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But anyway, Kira Knightley um, is this like gifted woman who shows up late to a timed challenge. Ha ha. And um, she, Uh, You know, a woman during the 1930s uh, being a mathematician and being able to contribute with some of the top, like, um, academic minds. Obviously, they assumed when she walked in that she was a a secretary. Yeah. And then it turns out she's actually, like, she can keep up with fucking Alan Turing. Like, she can throw down in the math department. Um, She ends up becoming engaged to Alan Turing. She ends up kind of, like, teaching him how to build a relationship with all of the men that he has to work with that frankly resent him because he's just so awful to be around. But he doesn't understand why he's awful to be around and she kind of helps him navigate that. And she's also brilliant as well, which he can respect. And the line that I love so much uh, is, and by the way, the fact that she could remember this fucking line like 20 years later, like, fuck off, Kira Knightley. I'll get to (laughs) Yeah, but but the the line was sometimes, because Alan Turing believes in her because he says sometimes, and she's like, why are you believing in me so much? Why are you forcing me to like leave my home and work with you? And like, why do you believe in me? And And he says, sometimes it's the people that no one imagines anything of who do the things that no one can imagine which is a very sweet line. But then this bitch remembers that 20 years later, just off the cuff, you're like, yeah, right. I had to look and look it up. And I, I saw this movie 12 times. But yeah, when that <laughs> happened, I said out loud, oh, this is a movie. movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like this is just go like pure yeah. movie. <laughs> Not even trying to act like this actually happened. So have you seen this movie before? And uh, what did you think about it? And what did you think about Kieran Knightley's performance as Joan Clark? Never saw it. I'm iffy on these kind of, you know, dry British, you know, you kind of I say get yourself. It. The, I the love vibe. them, though. So I watch it, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think, I don't know how you feel about this, but it might be a little annoying for, you know, 
uh, LGBTQ people that the level of like explicitness of Turing's gay relationships, it's at a level where like a Catholic high school teacher yeah. could be like, yeah, we can play it during class. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, this ain't going to hurt yeah. anybody. So it's really like, that's yeah. why I kept thinking, like, this is a really high school movie, like yeah. to teach high school kids history. Probably. Um, that's really funny. But and the, like, yes, that's like the best way of putting it. <laughs> so the, the movie is good with Kira Knightley's part. So she is... The only woman in the entire movie, except for like one scene where another woman's character is, I want to fuck him. <laughs> yeah. That's like her yeah. vibe. Um, yeah. And she's good in the, in the movie, but I don't think she, you know, is necessarily adding any flourishes that weren't on the page or stealing any scenes, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is, you know, Taking dry historical fact and making it compelling. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the the movie does the best job of is making the story interesting for anybody. Because mm-hmm. it makes a human interest story. Mm-hmm. And a really good job of the uh, flashbacks to when Turing's younger. Mm-hmm. I think that actor is excellent. Mm-hmm. But for her parts, I think I probably will have needed a little more about her background how she got there and a little more about where she's coming from to really say it was a standout role for me well it's just sort of nice to see the uh girlfriend of the gay like okay so it's like there's okay so it's sort of like this trope in like tv shows and movies where it's like if there's a gay guy and a girl and then she's his best friend they always have to be so clever and witty to each other and they always have to like say like it's like they always have to like it's it's clearly writers trying to be like oh like this is a cool thing to say to your friend and it's always just like Stevie and um David from Shits Creek I frankly find their friendship really cringy and okay. like the way they interact it's very like oh because like you're friends and he's gay and you're a straight woman and when you guys have that relationship you can just be like quirky and witty to each other all the time and it's just so fun and re- it's like it's just, it's just such a trope that like, it's always like the straight girl and the gay guy have to have this kind of like funny relationship. Frankly, it was just really refreshing to just see like two nerdy people just talking about fucking math. It's yeah. like the gay guy and the girl. They're just like, they're just so focused on the task at hand. And um, I love how quiet Keira Knightley is. I love how traditional she is. I love how much she doesn't, like her parents are so strict, but it's at that time in history where it's like you would never just leave your family for your job. Like at the time, uh, like a, a woman even just working, like that was just wild. It was like she was 25 and not married and it was like so gauche, you know. And um, I really love period pieces and I really love the way that her character navigated that world while still sort of maintaining her sense of tradition. Um, and I just love the way that she is always there for him when he's like we'll just he's like i'm because he's trying to protect her and he's like i'm a homosexual and then she's like i don't care it's fine and then she's like we'll be happy in our own way we can go and see papa on the weekends like just i i love i just it's aesthetically speaking it's it's just working for me i love her like whenever he's being chemically castrated and the way that she's there for him and the way that she cares for him is almost like a motherly way that like, I almost wish some of the mother roles in these group of nominees would be more like, um, 
I do think that she was a little too chill about marrying a queen, but like whatever. That that's it's yeah, it's like it's refreshing. Yeah. Like the relationship is not typical, it's not you know, exhausted, like it does feel fresh and to them because I think what stands out is here's a relationship between uh, a gay man and, and a straight woman where they have this bigger priority, which is that you're on a time crunch to do this thing to win a war. And that's not a story we see ad infinitum. Like that's, you know, a pretty unique circumstance. But yeah, they don't take the easy way out with either the sassy back and forth or, a, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of movies would have given her maybe a big explosive, how dare you do this to me or have her catch him. Or, they, don't do, they don't do any of and that. And I appreciate it. Yes. It's such a trope. Yeah. And I'm glad that they didn't. Instead, they have a thing where she's like, I have, I'm my own person. Mm-hmm. I have my own reasons why this works for me. Yes. He tries to kind of fend her off with the I never cared. And she's just like, no, I don't. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> this job it. is too important to me. We'll make it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand. So there, there's some there's some enjoyment there. Um, I just, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's an ensemble cast at the end of the day. Yeah. So she only is going to get so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, just for time's sake though I do think that we do we should probably move on soon so do you have like some key moments um, that maybe stood out to you at all or maybe some things that you perhaps didn't like about the performance just uh, just a few points and then uh, we do need to move on yeah I think um, I mean less so with her performance just this is a good movie but it is they movied up the story quite a bit. Like for a lot of people, like if you look up, there's some definitely historically inaccurate stuff in this movie. Right. The machine's not called Christopher. It was called victory. Like there's, so there's some things there where they were like, this is better for this story, but might not be true. So don't take it as gospel. But Turing is an incredibly interesting historical figure. figure. His actually a story about suicide. They took out the most, well, poetic thing, which is that a, you know, it's not it's not locked in that it was a suicide, but if it was, it was because he had a cyanide um, infused oh. apple because he loved the story of Snow White, which is such a great visual. And, yeah. it, and it makes such a compelling visual for a movie. But who knows? You know, that's that's its own story. And that's not in the movie. Um, I think with her scene, she really has we cover her two biggest ones, the end after the castration and the scene where she finds out. Other scenes, she's kind of part of more like ensemble. Yeah, scenes. I know. I, I know what you're saying. Um, but I just love her. Love this movie. Could watch it. I've seen this movie a million times. I never get sick of it. Um, okay, so let's just uh, just for time's sake, let's talk about our winner. Let's talk about Patricia Arquette and the movie Boyhood. So this movie was originally going to be called Twelve Years, but the year before they released Twelve Years a Slave, and they worried that audiences <laughs> would be a little confused. Imagine really seeing Twelve Years a White Boy like six months after Twelve Years a Slave. Um, okay, so um, Elar Coltrane was seven years old when. Whenever this movie started and he was 19 whenever it was done uh, this uh, was shot over 45 days from May 2002 to August 2013 um, the director Linklater said that Patricia Arquette was a, a mother at a very young age which is why that she was his only choice for this role and um, this is Obama's favorite film of 2014 because <laughs> they kept doing the campaign in the in the Ethan Hawke was really into Obama and the liquor store clerk um, was the same liquor store clerk from Dazed and Confused. I was like, that guy looks really familiar. He looks like the guy from Dazed and Confused. I looked at it, it's the same fucking guy. I mean, that has nothing to do with the story. I just thought, well, that's 
a fucking typecast but cool it's the link later cinematic universe yeah <laughs> so the movie boyhood is exactly what it sounds like it's like a coming-of-age story of this boy and patricia arquette is the single mom who um you see her full journey of being poor to going back to school to being married to her professor and then he turns out to be an abusive alcoholic and then she leaves him although originally leaves the kids behind and then she comes back for them like right Um, and then she marries this, uh, other guy who served in uh, Afghanistan. He did a few tours and then he also has a drinking problem, but he's not abusive exactly. And then she leaves him and then like, um, she kind of struggles financially through the entire movie, but she is a professor at, so, so it's like her education and her studies paid off and all this while being, uh, a, a single mom essentially and um okay i fucking hate this movie i have seen this movie twice and it is twice too many it is one of those things where the actual movie itself is kind of but the idea of the movie of it actually being filmed over this long time and seeing the actor's age is the hook that made audiences so interesting because nothing like that had ever been done before. But when you really watch this movie, unless you are a straight boy, watching this movie, I had a really hard time connecting with it. That was not my childhood growing up. That was not what it was like. And not just because of the fact that he had like a single mom or something like that. Like, uh, and like there was so many different homes and different families and stuff. And I realized that like not everybody can relate to that, but just growing up, as a boy, it's not the same thing as growing up as like an LGBTQ boy. And mm. when I watch a movie like this, I, it, it's like that, this is so boring to me. I do not get this. This is not a world that I've ever lived in. And because it's three fucking hours long and they don't leave out one milestone and Patricia Arquette, you really see Ethan Hawke more than you see Patricia Arquette. And she's always sitting at like a kitchen table working on like papers um, or she's enduring some sort of verbal or physical abuse or she's just trying to correct her children in a way to to as a mother should to have like good manners to be thoughtful to be considerate that's great i have seen that in so many different movies like stepmom with susan sarandon which frankly i thought was a little bit more interesting and a better performance for me it's like watching patricia arquette in this movie it's like it's not like it's something that i haven't really seen before i seriously i'm gonna say this is so controversial i don't understand the nomination i don't understand why like it was so critically acclaimed she swept she won the bafta she won the golden globe she won the screen actors guild she won the critics choice she won like she won everything people all fucking love her. Like, I love her too. I love her in media more than I like her in this. But people love this role. They loved uh, her specifically in this role. And I can honestly say I don't understand why. And I know that you like this movie. You selected this year. I would love to hear what your thoughts are, what you think about this movie. But please do not be offended when I tell you that this movie is not for me and I do not understand this performance. No, believe me. Three hour long Link later movies are not... <laughs> <clears throat> it's you a know. big ask. Yeah, yeah it's, like it's, it's a lot. It's going to be an acquired taste, and we've also disagreed every single movie except for *Imitation <laughs> yes. Game*. So, yes, I love this movie. Now, I think that, and I've talked to other people about it. This is a movie where you're either going to really resonate with it, mm. or you're going to feel 
on the outskirts because when you're resonating with it, every small moment rings truer and truer. And when you're outside of yeah. it, it's just a bunch of shit you don't care about. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't see either yourself or a life you've lived, you really have it. I, from what I've heard, a hard time caring about the small moments. For me, so you're so boyhood I'm watching this is like movie, imita- like we switched. Yes, yeah. Okay, I'm watching this movie with. I think a three-week-old baby, son. (laughs) Right. And so it's just a lot of these feelings were crazy intense for me. Now, with Patricia Arquette, I think, I mean, the biggest biggest thing to me is just her last scene, to me, by far the most powerful scene of any of these nominees, and a scene that I think about all the time Mm -hmm. and has a lot of vested power. Because, yes, we've seen overworked moms. Yes, we've seen... Mom's trying to get by. And we've seen a lot of famous actresses at varying levels of disappearing into a working class or lower middle class role like this. Mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette completely disappears in this. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm thinking completely of her character, her problems. You feel the danger with the abusive uh, second husband. You feel her limited mm-hmm. options. I'm with her as the character. And then at the end, instead of doing, you know, a big wrap of bow, happy ending, instead of how far we've come, isn't it amazing? You have a complete breakdown where she says she tried to do the right thing the entire time. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly hard the entire time. She sacrificed so much the entire time and she did it. And now she has nothing. Mm. It wasn't, it's not, it's not about it being enough. It's not about it being, you know, the wrong decision. It's that she made the right decision. She would make the same decision again. Yeah. But at the end of the day, your kids, you know, it was your whole world. It was your whole world. And to your kid, they, they just kind of saw you at these small intersections, these small scenes. Mm -hmm. So the ending scene makes the limited amount of screen time she has feel more because we're with the boy. So with him as he's kind of Ethan, Ethan, Hawk. Ethan Hawke's the more fun one. Ethan Hawke has all these great rants and moments and he has these big scenes and then we just see the mom doing the domestic stuff. Mm. So that's why at the end, this character who's like, you know, I did all those. I didn't want to do those domestic moments. Someone had to do them. Mm-hmm. I had no choice. So I did everything I could and it was never easy and I never rest my laurels and, it, and now I have nothing. Mm-hmm. It's to end, you know, I... I was raised by my mom. My parents were separated and I've seen parents and felt that who gave up everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important, you know, to kind of showcase that feeling of like, there is no guaranteed Hollywood happy ending. And some people, it's really painful. You know, when you grow and your kids grow, there's going to be a point where your kid's life takes the priority mm-hmm. And some kids keep you in the loop and some kids don't. I just to me, just that scene is just incredible. And that scene is what won every every award. There is a better you. scene to me. But I agree with you. That was the scene for me. That and whenever she does finally leave the abusive That scene's also great just because Well, when like, she has to explain to her daughter. Yeah. And then she's like, what? And then oh, I, I think I wrote oh, it down here. Yeah. This, where they're sitting at the table and then Carol's behind her and then she's like, What are we gonna do? And then she's like, I don't know when we're gonna leave. I don't know. And just her uncertainty and her her how scared she is and she breaks down in front of her daughter. You can tell that for the 
character, like she always has to have like an image of strength for her children. And then when she breaks down like that in front of her daughter, which by the way, the daughter wasn't really bringing much to that scene, but Patricia Arquette is like, for so that scene for me was like, whoa, like kind of moment because I, I, I understood the moment. I understood what was going on for the character and how hard that was for the character. But also at the end that for as well, whenever she realizes that she, she she says now she has nothing because when you're when you're essentially struggling as a mother single for decades and then suddenly oh one of your kids is going off now and and they don't necessarily need you in the same way anymore yeah it's like you have a bit of an identity crisis and well it's like you sacrificed everything to get there like I sacrificed everything for my kid to have the opportunity and we're here to now. find themselves and we're yeah. here now yeah and you know where are my friends where are my hobbies where are all these things yeah. Because I just put it all into you guys. But the scene you just said reminded me of another great scene she's in. Mm -hmm. And the three-hour movies, sometimes you forget <laughs> about them. But the scene where she takes her daughter to school after escaping the abusive relationship. And the daughter is so embarrassed because she's wearing dirty clothes. Yeah. And you go, fuck. Like, you get why the daughter would feel like that. Mm -hmm. And again, she's not the best actress. But that's one of the toughest things for this movie. Yeah. Is you're hiring people at eight. And you have to hope that they can deliver yes, dramatically about that too, for 12 yeah. years. And I think it, it's funny because there's some ages where the son really is getting awkward. Yeah. And then some lines he can't really pull off. But then there's other things he knocks out of the park. So yeah. that, so both Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette are amazing for... But like you're, but like the scene in the car, you're saying like when she's like yelling at her from yes. so when she's like, try getting your head smashed into the wall, like in front of all the other students. Yeah. But but okay. But the thing is, is like I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and say because I said that I didn't understand why why Patricia Arquette was nominated. That was me being silly. Okay, because I think I, it's where you hated the movie. I hated and the movie. You the, the, I, the negative things in the movie yeah, to the performance. I, I I understand why she was nominated because she is mom. Like she is playing like the story of mom, where it's yeah. like oftentimes mothers are written from like a man's perspective and it's very much like in a in a way where it's like very much just like serving the family and serving but then you don't actually really get to know like what it all means to her and how it affects her experience as like a as a human being and and her relationships with people and um the final scene where she says you know like i have nothing and i think that that without that scene i think that because it really just locks everything, like it ties it all together and you're like, okay. And you see that full journey, that full arc for her character. Um, and I appreciate that. And it is very, very well acted. But yeah, for the love of God, I hated this movie. I've seen I mean, it twice and it's so boring. I get the argument of like, without this one scene, it's not that great. And I agree with it for best actor and best actress. For best supporting, mm -hmm. a lot, True. you can get that, you can get best supporting off one scene. So you can't really separate like, without this one scene, like Alec Baldwin got a nomination off of for like one, five minutes. Yeah, off yeah. of five minutes, one scene. So, one scene can carry you 80% of the way of the best supporting nom, to me. Ooh, okay. All right. Now I'm going to try and get in a movie for five minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, that being said, though, I do think that we should probably uh, wrap this up because we're... <laughs> We're, we we could I, I could talk to you forever about this, but the problem is that you know then who the fuck wants to listen to this for like two hours? So yeah. uh, I think that we we're should doing go... a boyhood length episode. <laughs> yes, yes, for yes. boyhood. Yeah, I also need to do a Titanic one, and I'm going to call it the Tanic. <laughs> it's going to be really long, but anyway, uh, I think that we should reveal who we think that the best supporting actress should have gone to. So you were my guest. Yeah. So please reveal who you think the Oscar should have gone to. 
So my choice for best supporting actress would be... Patricia Arquette. I mean, I know I defended it. It came in kind of hot, but yeah. to me, it's it's a performance that really resonated with me and one of the best scenes I can remember of like maybe the 2010s, if, if I'm really thinking about it. It's great. I... Uh... I figured I was expecting that, uh, and I, I I love that you you selected her, um, and I I, I get it. Uh, but okay, so I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Kira Knightley for the imitation oh, game. Listen, okay. listen, listen. This this woman has done so many period pieces, and she. Um, you know, she was nominated for uh, Pride and Prejudice. She was in the movie Atonement. She was in like Anna Karenina. Like she has a pretty crazy range, but she only has, I believe, two Oscar nominations. I think that she deserves an Oscar statue. And I Ugh. fucking love this movie. And I love her in this movie. Of all of the films, when you're talking about things that resonate with you and the little tiny details that if you're not really, if it's not resonating with you, you're not going to pick up on Nordy. Are you going to care about it? Um, in this film at the imitation game, uh, you know, uh, it, it really did resonate with me a lot. And, and the way that her character is written for me is like refreshing compared to like, you know, the gay best friend, which is just such a trope. And, um, it's, it's, it's stuffy. It's British. It's academic. It's, uh, uh, I, I love the way that she's there for him in a way that nobody else is, the way that she na- helps him navigate the world by, while being like, no one is going to be nice to you if you're not nice to them. And, and she kind of helps him and uh, to become a better person. And um, she is that supporting character that like sets him up for success. And uh, for me, I just, I love her in this movie. I love this movie. I've seen it a million times. I'll see it again. So for me personally, it was Kieran Knightley. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, Adrian Kronk, uh, for being a guest on the Best Actress Podcast. Where can people find you on social media? Thanks for uh, for having me. You can find me nowhere. <laughs> I stepped away from social media, but uh, I'm at uh, you know signed with uh, Yuck Yucks here. So I'll see you guys in the the clubs if you're here in in Toronto. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.